0: This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Alsasser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. We looked the last couple of weeks at some of the parables of Jesus, but we're going to shift today to some action. It's an unforgettable boat ride with Jesus. You, you said a couple times ago that you... Uh, They've been out some deep sea fishing. You've been out on some boats. You've probably been out sailing on Lake Pontchartrain or something. I don't know what are you, been, what's the, you know, what's a good boat ride that you've had in, in your life? Any of them stand out where either, uh, you became master of the sea or you were, uh, like leaning overboard a little. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Where I went to the bow of the boat and said, I'm flying
0: or whatever yeah. it is.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, any uh, any, honestly, for me, any trip out on a boat, that's a good day.
0: Any scary ones where you've been out and a storm kicked up?
1: Yeah. 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 I've had that happen because, uh, growing up as a kid, um, we had this itty bitty like 14 foot, uh, boat. And uh, I remember one time being out actually on Lake Pontchartrain fishing and this uh, storm came up, which the, the, the waves, the wake was way too much, uh, for that boat. And I thought, uh death was certain but uh but my dad navigated us uh back uh to the dock uh thankfully but uh yeah, I've had some some funny moments uh a couple of times we got the boat wedged up on a stump or something, and my my dad would uh gently throw my brother and I overboard uh so we would be the one that to, to physically drag us off off the stump and uh so yeah yeah but in, in, hey any day out on the water uh is a good is a good day. Uh,
0: yeah, well, this that story is similar to the one that's going on here in, the, in our topic today. It's we're, we're in Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8 verse 22 and it says one day Jesus said to his disciples, "Let's go over to the other side of the lake." And as we said before, you can see the other side of the lake from what whichever side you're on. There's the Jewish side and there's the Gentile side. Of the lake. It's kind of the division between Israel and not Israel on the opposite side of the the lake or the Sea of Galilee. And you can see it, you I mean, you can see that there would if you could would be a mob of people over there, you'd be able to see that there were people over there. And so he said, Let's go to the other side. Now, when he says this, he's saying to them, We're going to the Gentile side. We're leaving Jewish territory. All of you guys are Jews, I'm a Jew, but we're going to head into that territory, which for them might have been a little bit intimidating at times, because they're going into this non-Jewish, unclean side of the lake. But they do it, they obey, they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep pretty great when you can fall asleep in the, in a boat is your, it's, it's very calming, right? It to is. Be on a boat, until it says a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Or as Ben said, I was sure I was going to die. Uh, they were in the middle of it. You know, the, the way that the Sea of Galilee is, it's, it's north and south, it's pretty long. East and west, it's not very long. And on the north part of that, there's a couple of, we would call them maybe large hills, but they're maybe small mountains. And there's a valley in between those. And sometimes that wind can push through there. And even though that lake is really not very large, it can cause some big storms, some big waves on that And these guys who were professional fishermen, we know at least four of them were professional fishermen, and they spent their life on that body of water, the same one. This is where they did their fishing. They were in great danger. And it says in verse 24, the disciples went and woke Jesus up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. I want to stop there for a moment because these guys— this, this was not their first rodeo or boat ride. They, they they spent their life every day. They would go out fishing on this lake every day since children, because we know that James and John, their father, Zebedee, was a professional fisherman as well. And so they probably, as children all the way through, that they, they spent their life. This wasn't their first storm on the lake. Yet they made this declaration: "We are going to drown." It must have been some kind of storm, or some kind of fear, or some kind of or some kind of something, or or maybe they looked at Jesus asleep and, and lost confidence or lost faith. What do you think's kicking up inside these guys, a, a good number of whom? This was their life on that body of water.
1: Yeah, first uh, one thing before I get to your question. Um I love the fact that Jesus is asleep because it's a good reminder that it's okay to rest and to take a nap, yeah, <laughs> right um, so sometimes we we need naps and uh we need to to give ourselves to rest. uh The other part of it is there's a lot of boats um that were at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure that wasn't lost on those guys. I'm sure they knew people uh you know I think about um about those who were fishermen you know new people potentially even family members that had drowned in in that lake uh while making a living while fishing and so their their fear speaks to uh the severity of the storm that that's come up that this is truly a storm that could legitimately end their lives that could legitimately uh lead them uh, to perish um they were in great danger this isn't them exaggerating uh the the storm itself they they were truly in uh great danger
0: it's it's pretty serious i would say and and their their first question that they are really going to ask here is like why are you sleeping right don't you care about us take take a look at matthew and mark these these stories also told they're they're really kind of upset at jesus and so they wake him up Don't you care? It's a question I think we ask a lot. Like, God, don't you care about my situation? Don't you care about me? Why aren't you providing what I need in my life right now, in this moment, in this time? Don't you care? So Jesus gets up. It says he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. I think sometimes that we, we pass over the, the miracles of Jesus, especially if we've been around the faith for a while, as like, oh, okay, well, he did that. But to, to stand up and speak to a storm, and in that moment for the storm to stop storming, for the wind to stop blowing, for the waves to stop crashing against the boat, that had to be miraculous. And you can imagine these guys who'd gone from wide-eyed to open-mouthed. They like they were afraid, and now they're like, their jaws dropped. He just told a storm to stop. And in the, in the moment of their hesitation, Jesus looks at them in verse 25. I'm in Luke 8, verse 25 and said to them, where is your faith? It's an interesting question to me. I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Spirit of God. Yet, he has an expectation that we will have enough faith to move mountains, to uproot trees, to calm storms. Is this a, a valid expectation? Is this, is this question just rhetorical? Or did he really want to know, where is your faith? Why didn't you speak to the storm?
1: Yeah, it, it could be relative to that, or it could be, um, why don't you trust yourselves to me? And that's that's how I, I read uh, the passage here, um, because the one who overcomes the, the wind and the rain and the storm and the waves is the one who is for us on this side of the the cross and the resurrection. He's the the one who has overcome death itself.
0: That I can. So tr- you see it as where's where's your faith in me, right? Rather than what I was wondering, like where's your faith to calm the storm,
1: right? Hmm. Right. Um, that doesn't mean I'm right. Uh, maybe we're both right. <laughs> I don't know. But, but yeah, I, I look at or neither, at, <laughs> or neither, <laughs>
0: which is <laughs> very <true>. likely. <laughs> that,
1: that's a fair assumption. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I look at you know the one who is who has overcome the storm, the one who can quiet the storm, the one who has overcome death. Uh, that there is this this undeniable peace that should result in our lives uh, from that that, that God is truly, that Christ is truly sovereign over all things, uh, and the peace that that reaps, even in the midst of our, uh, the, the storms that we encounter in life. And I remember, uh, for me, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you know, the truth of, of that, you know, the truth of, of God's power, you know the truth of God's love. We have this undeniable picture of the love of Christ in the cross, the assurance of that love that comes via the 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 resurrection. And I and I remember when this really this truth really plowed into my heart was when my my oldest uh, after she was born, um, she had my my wife had to be induced uh, early because there was problems with the pregnancy. And after she uh, after uh, my oldest was born immediately uh was rushed off uh to the neonatal intensive care unit and the first forty eight hours or so of of her life um we we thought that she might have a bowel obstruction we weren't totally certain uh what it was that that she was wrestling with and dealing with and it was in that moment that i'm I'm crying out to god why hmm. why 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 how why are you allowing this to to happen and uh, I remember going to uh, the, the the hospital where she was was born, uh, Catholic hospital. I remember going into the chapel at, at the hospital and kneeling and crying out to God in the midst of that, in the midst of my own fears and, and worry, worry, the midst of that uh, storm, and and looking up there uh, at the cross. And of course, in a Catholic hospital, there's the the picture of Christ nailed to the cross. And as I'm questioning God's love, looking at up at that cross. And it was like this moment of just penetrating truth into the core of of my being that, dude, God's love is undeniable. He is for you. And no matter what happens uh, in the coming weeks or, or days, uh, he loves you. And here's the undeniable truth uh, of his love. And Really compelling me. Not that that erases the trial. Not that that erases uh, the worry and the fear uh, and the angst that's existent in that moment. But to be able to lean upon God. To be able to to lean upon this undeniable love. To know that God is sovereign. To know that He is undeniably for me, uh, for my wife. For my my little girl who is his, I mean, this is a life that God has blessed me with, um, and you know, called me to be a good steward of. But that God is for her, and and learning to rest in the peace of that. And yes, my my, you know, after about a month in the NICU, uh, the my oldest came home and has has thrived and and done exceptionally uh, well. But I remember this this defining moment in some ways in my relationship with Christ, you know, 14 plus years ago, where that undeniable truth of of his love uh just absolutely just stabbed me in the heart.
0: And she is an amazing young lady to see what God has done in her. I can't wait to see where her future takes her. That is that's an incredible story. It it's kind of the the thing that's happening here. I think in the In the boat, that they started off by saying, Why? Like, Jesus, why are you asleep? And they went to the question of who? Like, they said, In fear and amazement, this is in the scripture in Luke 8 25, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this guy? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, as as cool as this was, this was not the most amazing part of the boat ride to (laughs) me, (laughs) right? Because Once the storm calms down, they keep on going to the other side of the lake. And in verse 26, it says they sailed to the region of the Gerizines. Now they're in Gentile territory, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, they met a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. If you look over at the, the version of this in Mark chapter five, you get a little more information about the guy. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones this now this guy is some kind of guy I and mean, he's like a, a naked crazy cutter demonic tomb dweller <laughs> you i mean you can't get weirder than that no, no when i
1: when i read this there was a there was a wrestler my my great-grandfather raised my my mom and so my, my grandfather he he loved wrestling you know and in the, and in the eighties, there was a, there was a, a, a wrestler by the name of George, the animal steel. And I remember mm-hmm. the first time I read this and every time since then, when I read this, all I can do is picture George, the animal steel, literally ripping up the turnbuckle with his mouth, you know? And so that, that level of just sheer, uh, just, just wildness, you know, unabashed, like just craziness that that's where my mind always runs to when I, when I hear this story of, of Jesus entering into, uh,
0: this man's life. I don't know if this guy had a wrestling gig on the side, uh, (laughs) maybe he did, but you know, he was probably put the fear in the people around him. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine funerals in their day when they had to go to the tombs to bury somebody and the thought would be, here, here comes the naked, crazy cutter, and he's he's go- he's going to wreak havoc on the family funeral. It it had to be pretty strange, but they left him there because he only needed to go to the tombs every so often when someone died, I guess, or he'd go up into the hills. And I don't know if he howled or hollered. or said he would cry out. And this guy, I mean, there was a lot going on yeah. in his life. So here he is. He's the the most outside. The box, demon possessed guy that you can imagine. Yet, verse 28, when he saw Jesus, the naked, greasy cutter guy, he cried out and fell at Jesus' feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? How's this guy? recognize that Jesus is the son of God when Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and scholars and scribes and all kinds of people just can't see it.
1: Yeah. And his own disciples who a little while ago, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Right. And yet, yet he knows it. And yeah, the, the demons themselves
0: know who Christ is. He says, I beg you, don't torture me. Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Now, he had already done that, but the demons weren't out yet. So it was like this process of healing that was taking place. Many times it had seized him, the impure spirit had seized the man, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places, this man was as alone as you can get, he was possessed, but he was alone, and he wasn't possessed by a single demon, was he because it says in verse thirty Jesus asked the man, What is your name? It's an interesting question to ask the man because you he could have said you know Hank or Fred or you know whatever name would have been a name back then he could have given his name. But somehow this man knew that he was, Jesus was not speaking to him as a person, but was speaking to the spirit, the unclean spirit, the demonic spirit that was within him. And so that is what spoke back. That is what answered Jesus. And he replied, my name is Legion. Think of a legion of people. It's a lot of them. Because, he says, many demons had gone into him. And they, that is the demons, begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So, for some reason, Jesus complies, it seems. Like, he doesn't send them to Sheol. He doesn't send them to the abyss. In verse thirty-two, a large herd of pigs. You know, right away you can say we're not in Jewish territory. We are in the gen- the land of the Gentiles. Right. If they, if right. They're raising pigs. Yeah, they're pigs. raising pork. It is a different kind of place. So already the disciples are freaked out because they didn't. They you know they'd never touched pork in their life. It was against the regulations. Still is. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission it's an interesting interaction isn't it between jesus and demonic spirits like can i do this okay you can do this when the demons came out of the man they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep steep bank into the lake and was drowned so what's the what's the deal with the pigs here yeah, yeah he, insights or, or speculations like like is it the, like the most unclean thing you can think of for a jew and it was just like so we're going to show the my disciples what this is about like or is it just random there'd happen to be pigs or it could have been goats or it could have been in you know, a pack of wolves or or whatever
1: i have, man i have no idea
0: i don't either that's why i'm asking you uh, so the, there's the pigs and there they go they go down the bank verse 34 when those tending the pigs so when the the hog farmers saw what had happened they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside they didn't go straight up to jesus they went back and they got the polloi. they got the officials they got they got their their other people from the town from the community from the region and the people went out to see what had happened when they came to jesus they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, listen to this phrase, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed somebody gave him some clothes, and in his right mind, and the phrase, and they were afraid now, I don't get this. this guy had been terrorizing them, he'd broken chains, he was howling in the hills, he was living among their their dead, he was cutting himself with stones. He was demon possessed and now that he looks like your average Joe, they're afraid. What is up with that?
1: I'm not a hundred percent sure except to say that they were overwhelmed by the obvious power of Christ. Um, who this man is now, you know, calm in a rational state, sitting at Jesus' feet. And so here's a man that they themselves could not control everything, every means, mechanism that they had put into place to try to uh, exercise control over him were all fruitless. And here Jesus comes and really by the power of his word, this man is now in his right mind and they seem terrified by that outside of the, the angst of the fact that their pigs are Run off and drown themselves. Yeah, they're floating,
0: right? That <laughs> right, right. It's a it's an interesting thing uh, that this man's life, his well being, wasn't worth a herd of pigs to them. Right. Verse thirty six. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. I just find that to be striking. Like here, Jesus comes over there. He does this miracle. And rather than them saying, Hey, you know, my, my aunt Susie, I mean, she's got some issues going on or, or my grandma or, or, you know, I have a, I have a son or a nephew. Like, can you stick around if you can do this kind of healing? But no, they wanted him out of there. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. So they asked him to leave. And it says they'd been overcome with fear was why. So he got in the boat and left. But verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out ran down to the boat and begged to go with him. What a contrast. Like the people who were normal people, supposedly, said, Jesus, get out of here. And the guy whose life had been turned around begged to go with Jesus. But it says in the scripture, Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. That has to be the hardest thing he could have said. If the guy had been the 13th disciple or something, or been allowed to travel with them, you know, there was always a crowd around, been allowed to travel with the crowd, his life would have been different. He he might have become a real follower of Jesus. But the harder thing to say was, go back home. All those people who you've terrorized, who've been freaked out by you, go to them and tell them what God has done for you. And the guy does it. He goes back and he shares how much Jesus has done for him. Interesting. Jesus told him, Tell how much God has done for you. He went back and said how much Jesus had done for him. He understood that Jesus was God in the flesh. Pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Well, that's it for today. Uh, Next time we're going to be looking at more of Jesus' healing ministry and then some reactions to him in the midst of his healing. We're back on Jewish soil the next time that we meet. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus. Until then, may God bless you and continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Take care.